Well, good morning and welcome to the seventh Sunday of Easter, May 16th. I do hope that everyone enjoyed their Mother's Day in the best way that they could. By the way, if you have a candle that you could light this morning, a candle being lit together as a lead up to next Sunday's Pentecost celebration. So if you have a candle you can light, go ahead and do so. Dig it out of the drawer. And as we continue to worship together, for together we come to laugh and to sing, to love and to build up ever deeper relationships with each other and God. Together we open our arms for God's embrace and our hearts for God's love. Those of you who are uh, able to find a candle, we light the Christ candle at this time, if you haven't already. And the Christ candle is lit as a reminder of the light of Christ given to us all, a symbol of God's presence each and every day. Our opening hymn this morning is entitled, We Are One in the Spirit. The uh, singer this morning is Carolyn Aarons, who uh, comes from Vancouver, is a Christian singer who has sung with Steve Bell, who you've heard me talk about before. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that all unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians. Christians by our love, by our love. 
Let us join in our call to worship. In the midst of the world's chaos, come to this place and find peace. When your mind is overwhelmed with what you see, come to this place and find hope. If your heart is heavy with fear, with worry, with sorrow, come to this place and find strength. As you long for community in a world that is torn apart by so many things, come to this place and find love. Come, people of God, and in this place, in this moment, find peace, hope, strength, and love as we worship and pray together. Let us pray. Not one of us is worthy to approach, O God, creator of the universe, holy and all-powerful. Yet you have approached us and have shown us the human face of your love in Jesus, your Son, our Savior. He revealed your love and mercy by living as he did, serving others and accepting them as people made in your image and likeness. He pointed us towards a world in which each and every person could realize his or her identity as a precious child of yours. He even gifted us with the Holy Spirit so that the very fabric of our existence is woven with the thread of his life. May this time of worship be a true reflection of our thanksgiving, wonder, and praise over such blessings. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our second hymn this morning is uh, Come, Let Us Sing of a Wonderful Love, and the recording you're going to hear is from one of our fellow United Church congregations.
Let us pray. Creator, we bring our doubts and our questions, and as you touch our unbelief, you turn them into adventures. Come now, O Spirit, and create a moment of glory where we can sense you among us and the world can witness in us the good news that resurrection brings. Amen. One of our ministry of music pieces this morning is, comes to us from Bethany Russell, who's playing a instrumental version of I Have Called You By Your Name. confession. Forgive us, O God, when we treat people as though they are just a nuisance, when we are annoyed with others' behaviors, when they become disruptive and self-serving, when we find it difficult to include those who think or act differently from the norm, when we are cruel in our judgments or exclusion. Forgive us, O God, when we do not hear or heed Jesus' prayer for unity. We pray then for hearts open to gradual and yet genuine change. May the encounters we seek and the trust we help create bring us to more hopeful understandings about ourselves and the world of your making. May there be peace in our restlessness. May there be peace in our time. O oh God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, beginning to read at the 6th verse. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm also asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. 
I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Actions and words are both important, but sometimes actions do speak louder than words. In this morning's lectionary reading from John, Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He knows his time is short. He's aware that before much longer his days of teaching and preaching with his disciples will come to an end, a brutal and terrifying end, as he will be handed over, tortured, harassed, mocked, and finally crucified. As our Lord approaches the end of life, he draws near to the source of life, and in a way he summarizes the work that he has done in his prayer for his disciples. Every aspect of the prayer that our Lord offers in today's gospel text, he has already lived out through his life and teaching among his disciples and those who've come to him and who have been blessed by his ministry. Jesus' own life is a kind of perpetual prayer. His life is a continual offering of self to God and to those whom God has given him to serve. In today's gospel text, we hear his high priestly prayer, praying that the work he has done, the efforts he has made, the word he has spoken, the, the witness he has shown will not come to an end, but will continue in those whom his Father has given him to serve. As we read his prayer, we can be sure that it's offered for more than those disciples who were present to him during his lifetime on earth. As we open ourselves to our Lord and his prayer, we may discover that his prayer is for us, for you and for me, just as strongly as it was for James and John and Peter and all the disciples who knew him in the flesh. Perhaps today, more than any other time, the Christian church needs to experience the power of our Lord's prayer for his disciples. First of all, Jesus' prayer is very clear that Christians are in the world. We are not called to be a spiritual people who separate ourselves from the world. Rather, our Lord knew very well that we were to participate in the world, and he prays that, like him, through our witness, we would be equipped to change the world. Our call is to accept his word and his truth and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that some of us who call ourselves Christians are more attached to our cultural and societal values than we are to the teachings of our Lord. Perhaps we're more attached to the things of the world, to the things God has made, than we are to the creator of all things. I think that Jesus knew full well the challenges that his disciples and his church would face from the world. He himself not only faced a corrupt religious system, he faced a corrupt political system as well. But he lived in a country that was occupied by an oppressive force. Yes, our Lord did not have the same technologies that we deal with. He, he likely didn't need to deal with issues like identify, uh, identity theft or addicting drugs or reports of global warming or even nuclear warfare. But our Lord did have to face the same corruptible human nature that causes humans to sin and it flourishing. 
Jesus in his prayer prayed that his life would make a difference, and his prayer suggests to us that he's not sure that it will or that it has. Yet his prayer provides us with another layer of assurance of our Lord's continuing care and power that's available to us. Not only did Jesus teach with his healings and his word, he was the word. And he expressed the word through his actions, most particularly at the cross. Jesus prays that his disciples will be one as he and his Father in heaven are one. It may make us wonder why this was such an important part of his prayer. Even during his ministry, there was conflict among his disciples. We see the conflict before and after his death and resurrection. Peter often challenged Jesus. Thomas denied the community's word and witness as well as the Lord's resurrection. Judas betrayed Jesus, believing in his own idea of what a Messiah liberator should be. Jesus must have been aware of the difficulty of holding a community together, even in the short years when he wandered the land of Israel with his band of disciples. Certainly the church has struggled with unity ever since our Lord's death and resurrection. New factions and splits within the church continue at an alarming rate. And though there has been some movement toward ecumenism in this last century, we still argue over aspects of the gospel, pointing fingers at one another, getting caught in self-righteousness and judgmental thinking while denying our Lord's desire that we may all be one. We are often more in allegiance with our own denominations and theologies, becoming inflexible and unable to agree to honor and respect fellow Christians, or even to simply gather as a people who believe that Jesus is Lord. The world brings us many challenges, and most of us have likely gone through emotional and momentous occasions when we desire to be in the presence of others who have walked the same road. We may long to be with others who have faced this world and at times felt crushed by it. Perhaps we need to gather in community because we have discovered a cancer or are about to get married or our first child is going off to college or we've lost a friend or we find we must stand against war and intolerance or we want to join together with others who also believe in global warming. Like those first disciples, we can find comfort in being in the presence of someone who has been there with us in the world and the challenge of our experiences. Those first followers had ten whole days to simply pray and wait and be together, to know in their hearts and in the eyes of each other that they had shared in some of the most momentous occasions in the history of the planet. This first important ministry of the church was a ministry of presence, of being together and being one. Are there places in, in your lives that feel like you fall in between the cracks? Are you one of those who feel overwhelmed by the world and unable to make a difference? Do you sense the familiar has gone and the new has not yet come along to replace it? Do you feel like you're just left staring up into the sky wondering what's going on? It's comforting to know God's word and discover that our Lord himself felt this way. At times our Lord needed to withdraw from his disciples and simply hear the voice of his Father. We need to hear Jesus' words and to wait together with other believers. It's a difficult place in which to be. We would much rather go off on our own to work things out. We'd much rather grab onto some plan, any plan, so we have something to say for ourselves. And we'd much rather give friends 
caught in such places a quick and easy answer. But Jesus calls us to wait and to wait together. He promises that in the vulnerable place of admitting our powerlessness, we will receive the ministry which will enable us to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit when clear direction does come. We can all question whether the changes that the United Church of Canada has gone through in recent years will be what Jesus refers to as clear direction. In its working document as part of the comprehensive review process entitled United in God's Work, it suggests that we have, we have to let go of things we have always done and things we cherish. We have to live within our means and accept that we will be smaller. Some of you may have received an email from Jocelyn Bell, the editor of the Broadview magazine, formerly the United Church Observer. The email was essentially asking for more support in a campaign to raise $50,000. Perhaps an indication that changing the name of the magazine wasn't the only issue. However, organizational change is rarely easy. It causes apprehension. So there's risk, but risk is not now new to the United Church. Those who founded it believed that they could risk leaving behind things that no longer served their present situation. But as a Christian and a member of the United Church, I find myself wondering if we still believe, as did those who gathered for the inaugural service almost 96 years ago, that something vital is in the making, even though we cannot yet see what it is or how it will turn out. Do we still believe that ultimately our hope is not in denominational structures or ourselves, but in God's help? I think that we are a church that is forever grappling with what it means to face the future with a living faith. Our gospel reading this morning suggests that Jesus' prayer for his disciples was needed while they waited together as one for the spirit that came at Pentecost, for Jesus was present with a frightened and uncertain group of disciples huddled together, unsure about their future. Are we not like those first followers of Jesus? Uncertain, not always quite sure who Jesus is, but occasionally finding the grace of our Lord's presence in the midst of ordinary living? Are we not like the thousands of people who left the Mutual Street Arena on June 10, 1925 at the formation of the United Church of Canada, not knowing whether anything or everything was about to change? What we do know is that the Christian faith assures us that God is with us not only when we are most confident and most assuredly amazing, but even when we're not. The hope and the message of the gospel is the promise of God's presence in times of discouragement, confusion, and even death. We're called to witness to that presence a God who transforms fear and pain and whose spirit can infuse new life even in something that carries the whiff of death and decay as has been realized in the COVID-19 pandemic. For the past 96 years, the United Church has been making a difference in the lives of countless people and communities across Canada and around the world. And those of us who are a part of it have experienced something of the venture in faith that the inauguration of the United Church promised. It's that heritage that we celebrate and hope to pass on. Sharing the faith in word and deed, willing to be candid about our failings but not immobilized by them, and working together in and for God's world. And as we face the uncertainties that lie ahead, we might do well to bear in mind the words of G.K. Chesterton, who wrote, Christianity has died many times and risen again. 
for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Every age has its cultural, mo its critical moments. Every generation has its challenges. And today we may be challenged by an ever-increasing question, does Christianity matter? This isn't a new question. St. Paul wrestled with it, with this question when he said that if resurrection was not true, that if the resurrection didn't happen, as Christians are the most to be pitied. We are a people of the resurrection. We have a Lord who has triumphed over sin and death. We have a Lord who was willing to not only share the word with us, but to show the word to us. We have a Lord whose actions spoke louder than words when he was willing to be lashed by Roman authorities, spit upon by the crowd, and betrayed by his own disciples and the religious authorities of his day. We have a Lord who was falsely judged by governmental authorities, a Lord who was persecuted because of his faithfulness. We have a Lord who was crowned with thorns, pierced with a spear, and nailed to a cross. We have a Lord who anticipated the needs of his followers and prayed for them. We have a Lord who has been true to his promise to send an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We have a Lord who continues to nurture his church through his word and through his presence in bread and wine, and in the people of God who share in his life because they know him as their Lord and dedicate their lives to serving him. Our Lord prays for us to be like him, to know in his strength the source of grace found in an intimate relationship with God. Our Lord prays for us to be in the world as he was in the world. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? Can you receive God's living word to you today? If your answer is yes, then I invite you to take these last few days of this Easter season and wait upon the Lord to guide you into action. Let us be united through Christ to serve, to give up our petty arguments and our attempts to control what the Spirit has in mind for our church. For surely, surely we don't believe, do we, that, that we know the mind of Christ? Our Lord will not forsake us, for Jesus' prayer is for us, for you and me just as strongly as it was for James and John and Peter and all the disciples who knew him in the flesh. Perhaps today, more than any other time, the Christian church needs to experience the power of our Lord's prayer for his disciples. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God, you are God of compassion and love. Time after time we have experienced your care and provision. Time after time, you've answered our prayers and met our needs, often in ways we could never have dreamed possible. We praise you for your faithful love toward us. Because we have known your love, we come to you with confidence, offering our prayers for the world that you love. We see so much pain and suffering, so much anger and frustration and despair. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by the needs around us, but we continue to bring our prayers to you in faith because we know that nothing is impossible for you. You are the God who rained down bread from heaven and made water flow from a rock in the desert, the God who resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead and who brings new life and hope to all who believe. For through you, all things are possible. We pray these prayers in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Our closing hymn is All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Go now and invest your lives in the works of faith. Make a name for yourselves for generosity and compassion. Fulfill God's holy law by putting love into action as eagerly for others as you would for yourselves. And may God be your defender and provider. May Christ Jesus dispel all that disturbs or disables you. And may the Holy Spirit make you rich in faith and loving and mercy in action. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. With many thanks to the support of Bethany Russell, our postlude this morning is called How Deep the Father's Love, played by Bethany.
Have a wonderful day and have a wonderful week. And we'll see and talk to you next Sunday. Go in the peace of Christ.